0: Do we have kids at church today? No, no, okay. Alright, cool. Watch your life from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20, part 19. So as we resume our series on Ephesians, we continue to look at some practical applications of our faith, what we believe and how that is worked out in our everyday life. So the passage before us is a call to to living in such a way that we do not get sidetracked or get dragged by the rest of the world and then fall in danger of, of losing our way. We all, as you know, we all take care with the things that matter to us. We take care and dedicate ourselves to education our family, our home, our finances, our appearance, though some of us can't help it the way we look, (coughs) and so forth. Above all these things, for the Christian, our faith in God is by far the most important thing. And that's how we want to live our life, because it does matter. So it follows that as Christians we must pay attention then as how we live our Christian life. So, so this morning we're going to use verse 15 of chapter 5 as, as a heading and then unpack it in parts. And this is what verse 15 says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Another version, the ESV has, look carefully then how you walk how you walk. To be careful means to walk accurately, precisely, the King James says circumspectly. You know that when you walk on a a narrow path along the side of a steep mountain, we've all, I think we've all done that at one point or another, you have to have your wits about you because there's a big fall on this side and it's very easy to, to slip and fall, and you could even lose your life. So you have all your senses are, are, are intensely working so that you don't fall. Let's remember the words of Jesus who said that the Christian life is a is a walk on the narrow path, didn't it? Narrow path. It's the road less travelled, not the wide path that the rest of the world is walking on the rest of the world of popular opinion. We are to live differently. In this verse, the Apostle Paul is, is making a couple of assumptions here. I know, big, right? Big assumption. But the first one is that Christians are going to be wise and they're not going to be fools. That's our calling. The second is that Christian wisdom is a very practical wisdom. The Christian is, is not like some wise, so-called wise philosophers or gurus who live on top of the mountain in the Himalayas and uh, basking in the, in the fresh air and people come from all around the world to, to get their advice. It's interesting because they're living right on top of the world, separated from society, and yet people go all the way over there to get advice on life down, down there. Don't you want somebody who lives down there in the midst of life about what it's like to be living? It's easy living an isolated, ascetic lifestyle. But we are called to live the life, the everyday life, with the rest of the world. And the knowledge that is given to us in Christ is to be applied in everyday life. It's not just some theoretical thing, it's a very practical thing. And ultimately, that is what wisdom is. Wisdom is not just a head knowledge, but wisdom is applied knowledge. So how do we apply this then? First of all, we need to watch our time. Watch your time, verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The King James Version says, redeeming the time... To us, redeem is a, a word that we use in salvation, but originally it comes from the marketplace. You go and redeem something when you buy it for your own use. And one of, the, one of the common mistakes I think that happens that when you're young is that you think that you have all the time in the world. You can't wait to drive that car. You can't wait to leave home. You can't wait for this and that. But as the years roll on, you find out that the birthdays are getting closer and closer to one another. Somehow it's no longer 700 days in a year. It's no longer 365. Somehow it's reduced to, I don't know, a couple of months. Oh, it's here again. We realise how short life really is. And I had another reminder of that this week with the passing of my father. Life is a precious and limited commodity with a use-by date. There's, I think there's a website um, that actually you punch your your birth date and and all of this and it actually comes up with a date when you're going to die. I don't know, has anybody done this? Has anybody... You have? Oh, Nell, well done. So, were you encouraged or discouraged after doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Nell says she was dead 10 years ago. So, all of this is a bonus now, right? All of this is an bon- absolute bonus. But, you know, that's what life is, right? Every day... Every day is a bonus. So we, we need to make the most of every opportunity. Our lives are in God's hands. So, therefore, it's good that God has us in His hands, that our days are numbered by Him. Otherwise, it'd be very easy to fall into depression and say, Well, you know, I'm going to die tomorrow. Or well, you might, I don't know, but you can't live like that. You need to give thanks to God for every morning and live your life in that that light. Our English word for opportunity comes from the Latin, which means towards the port. I don't know whether you knew this or not. Opportunity means towards the port. So it pictures a, a ship taking advantage of the wind and arriving safely into the harbour. King David prayed My times are in your hands Deliver me from the hands of my enemies From those who pursue me So if his times, if his days are in God's hands They are not in the hands of the enemy It's ultimately God who decides doesn't matter what your circumstances are It's ultimately God who decides the days that you you have Evil days The apostle mentions evil days, and evil days may tempt us to despair. It's very easy to do that, and give up thinking that the the hearts of men are are not going to change. They are hard, they are cold. It's always going to be the same, and there is nothing we can do about it. And yes, evidence from history tells us that the gospel spreads... As the gospel spreads, it always encounters resistance and persecution and the enemy does not rest on the outside. But in our time, we are hearing of increasing persecution from within the church. So it's not just the the issue of the problems outside and the persecution, but it's also from within that the the gospel is being diluted and and, and changed. Why? we used to call it heresy, and now we'd say, well, we've got to fit in with the times. No, we don't. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. Maybe we don't hear, maybe we don't want to hear this too much, but years ago the great preacher Campbell Morgan said, "Days of moral corruption, offer special opportunities for the prosecution of great enterprises for the kingdom of God. And that's good news for us. But as the days get darker and darker, as Christians we need to shine the light. The very things that make it difficult for us to live as Christians are also the things that enable us to shine for Christ in the darkness. And we need to keep that perspective. Secondly, watch your thoughts. Verse 17, watch your thoughts. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Too many of us have the idea that doing God's will or discovering God's will is some mystical experience that overrides and supersedes clear thinking. But this is wrong. God gave us a mind. Don't park your mind in a garage like an antique car that you don't want to take out because it's going to diminish its value. No, you've got to use your mind. There's a lot of foolish people out there doing a lot of stupid things and it has nothing to do with their IQ level or intelligence but everything to do with their moral choices. And to understand is to use our minds to discover and to do the will of God. And it's a lot easier to discover the will of God once he transforms the mind. And this is what Paul tells us in Romans 12:2: "Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Allow yourself to be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And this discovering of God's will is a combination of the word of God, the Bible, prayer, meditation and worship. God expects us to gather the facts, examine them, Pray for wisdom and allow him to guide us. And it's, not, it's more than just knowing his will, but to if we know his will, we might not like it, right? Like Jonah and many others. No, but to, to know his will is also to understand it and accept it. And then follow through with it as his plan that he wants what is best for you. The message translation says: don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the Master wants. And if God has saved you, has saved you for a purpose. So I should discover that purpose and then point my life accordingly in that direction. It's, it's, it's like we're in this rescue mission and we know how, how much risk some of our SES and other workers take in rescuing people sometimes and saving lives. Now imagine you know, Matt who works with the ambulance service that he does all his effort, hours and hours, trying to keep this body alive and then the person recovers and then he goes back and does exactly the same thing from what he was rescued from and saved from. But that is stupid, right? And yet that's exactly what many people do. If you've been saved from that, don't you think... You shouldn't now be changing your life. God is giving you another chance. How many more chances do you want? So God has saved us for a purpose. Not just physically, but spiritually. For eternity. So we need to live our lives and point our lives in that direction. And verse 18... Watch your intake, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. In the ancient world, wine was the drink of choice. Uh, the, the Greek religion uh, taught that to commune with the gods, one had to enter an altered state, and wine helped that with that. So getting drunk was seen to be a religious Exercise. So the Greek for drunk comes from meta, after, and quo, which is sacrifice. So after the sacrifice, the party began. So, so this w- would explain that the problem in the, in the church at Corinth, to whom the Apostle Paul wrote, where the people would get drunk while at the Lord's table celebrating communion. It was part of their culture, you see, you you achieve this religious ecstasy through drink. You go to an altered state, losing control. But of course the loss of control when a person gets drunk often results in, in further sins because all restraints of modesty are gone and that's what debauchery is. You don't care. Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, it speaks of, it speaks against the fool who wastes his life in search for the next drink. The pub crawler. Does this mean that it is wrong for the Christian to drink alcohol? Well, certainly many Christians would say that's the case. But we must be clear that the scriptures do forbid drunkenness and does forbid alcohol dependency so while Proverbs condemns the drunkard it also tells us that the presence of God's blessing will be seen in many ways including vats brimming over with new wine Psalm 104 tells us that it is God who gives us all good things including wine This is what it says he makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for the people to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth wine that gladdens human hearts oil to make their faces shine and bread that sustains their hearts so it follows that being filled with the spirit is not religious Drunkenness. We need to make that point as well. It is not doing crazy things, you know, people being called and, and suddenly doing all these weird things on stage because they're filled with the Spirit. That's absurd. That is crazy. Where do you get that from? The filling is not some flashy or showy. It has nothing to do with supernatural gifts or speaking in tongues and and... And yes, many people point to Acts chapter 2 when the apostles were accused, their detractors were saying, well, they're drunk. No, they were speaking in other tongues, intelligible tongues and people in their own languages, in their own cultures, they were hearing intelligent language, they were hearing what? The gospel being proclaimed. They were in total control the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Rather than loss of control. The mind is fully engaged as well as the heart. Now if you've done any study in science or pharmacology especially, you will know that alcohol is actually a depressant more alcohol you drink, the more depressed you're going to become. And you're drinking alcohol because you are depressed. So that just complicates the issue, doesn't it? But the Holy Spirit is what? The Holy Spirit is a stimulant. Empowers us to greater things. And the word fulfilled here is used to like, like a wind being powered, powering a sailboat and being guided through the waters. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity, with whom we have a relationship, who seals us until we are to be redeemed at the end of the age. This is the Spirit who was active in creation and is active in our recreation, convicts us of sin, regenerates us and now guides us. That's the Holy Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit is not a a once-off thing, but it is a continuing infilling with the Spirit. And this is how the Christian is to live his life. Not on his own strength, but on the strength and wisdom that God gives him. Next, we need to watch our expression, verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from, from your heart to the Lord. Now let's be clear again that filled with the Spirit does not mean that instead of speaking to one another we start singing to one another. Instead of saying, "Hello, how's it going?" Oh no, "Hello, how's it going?" It doesn't mean that. No, the context here is public worship. Paul lists a variety of forms and categories that are used in worship. Three types of songs are mentioned Psalms refers to the Old Testament songs sung by the Jews and shared among Christians hymns were likely more formal songs meant to instruct similar to the to the, the verse verse 14 that we looked at last time and spiritual songs may refer to more spontaneous a call and, res- and responsive music and as, I suppose they, these songs will be what we classify today as contemporary music following cultural styles yet focus on God honouring lyrics all styles of music can be used to honour God as long as God is the focus and not man so the church celebrates God's grace in song the very centre of our being is engaged, not disengaged our lips As well as our hearts are focused in worship. You ever find yourself singing but you're thinking about, you know, the turkey you left in the oven, the electricity bill you forgot to pay, the car repairs that means you're disengaged. You're you're disengaging from from praise. You just blah blah blah, you just your lips, but the other Reason you might be disengaged is because you don't like the song you don't like the tune you don't like the music you don't like the drums you don't like this and that it means you're disengaged so the spirituality of worship is not a, it's not a selfish thing it's not about how we feel as we sing but whether or not others are edified by my heart the, the attitude of my heart whether God is glorified. The emphasis is not on us, on our musical ability or disability, on our feelings or on our fulfilment or whether it was my favourite tune or not or whether we know or we don't know the song or whether we like it or not, but on God. And as you read the scriptures, you cannot miss the fact that All of nature, in its own way, praises its maker. Some theologians criticise what this is referred to as natural theology and they criticise it for diminishing the centrality of Christ. But the Bible keeps telling us that the natural order, all of nature, reveals the handiwork of its creator. Therefore, all of nature responds in praise to its maker. There's a cacophony of of praise where the, the trees are singing and clapping. In other words, it joins in together. You probably remember the words of this tune. We sing it in a particular time of the year. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Remember that? If that is what nature does, what about us? Created in the image of God. God with so many gifts and talents. The rest of the nature doesn't have the talents and the creativity that that we have. What is our excuse for not doing so? Our music is to be an expression of God's grace. Always giving thanks for what he has done in us and for us. If God did not shine His light in our hearts, we would still be in darkness. May we rise and shine that others see God's light shining in our hearts. And we are not to limit our creativity to that which we grew up up, up, knowing Singing in Sunday school, and there forever, our our, 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 you know, our favorite tunes are from a hundred years ago. What do you think these words mean? Six times in the Psalms and the Prophets, these words are repeated. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalm 33, verse three. Praise to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the faithful. Psalm 149. And then in Isaiah. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down into the sea and all that is in it. You islands and all who live in them. A new song. And we sing the old songs as well. But don't be scared of learning a new song. Praising his name. And please remember that we are not the audience that is here enjoying the performance of the music team. God is the audience of our worship. We are performing for him, an audience of one. Our worship team leads us and prompts us they are not there to entertain us, but to lead us and to praise the God. And this is one example that my, my father uh, left me. I would sometimes I would hear him singing in Ukrainian or Spanish or Warani, which is the native language in Paraguay, playing his guitar or his accordion. He didn't he didn't care who was listening. He didn't sing to me or to us who were there. He loved to sing from the heart to the Lord who saved him. In fact, on Wednesday there was a video presentation that was put up by my niece and at the end of the presentation there was a very special touch because they have him singing in Ukrainian a cappella. It was beautiful because that's how we remember him. humble servant praising his saviour. Isn't that what we should do? And we close with verse 20. Watch your attitude. Always give thanks to God the Father for some things. Isn't that, that what your Bible says? Always give thanks to God for the good things. No, for everything, for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit-filled believer is a person who is regularly, constantly thankful for what God has done for them. At this time, let's remind you again that the Apostle Paul was in jail, chained to a Roman guard, awaiting his trial before the Roman Emperor. Was it just? No, totally unjust. And yet he's thankful to God because ultimately it's God in whose life he is surrendered to. And we are called to be thankful not just for the good things, but everything. The bad and ugly things that might happen to us, yes, those things we are to be thankful for as well. I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, And don't be sarcastic when you say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. What's your attitude? What's your attitude? We don't simply thank ourselves or other people. We give thanks to God, the Father, the Son, and through the control of the Holy Spirit. Did you see the the triune formula that we have here? All three persons... Father, Son, Holy Spirit are involved in the life of the believer. This is why it it fills me with sadness. I, I feel sorry for those who do not believe in God because in moments of pure joy, who will they be thankful to? At the birth of a child, who will you be thankful to? As you're staring at the heavens standing on top of a mountain in the Mara, in Africa, just looking at the vast countryside and see elephants and giraffes and lions and other and says Wow, what a wonderful accident of evolution how that is. It just happened. How good is that? Wow. I've, I've seen accidents. You see them on the road. That's what accidents look like. You see pure design in God's creation. Who will you be thankful to for? It's God. Or in moments of grief and sadness, like the death of a father, where will your eternal hope be? My father is not lying in the in ground. He is rejoicing with his Lord, whom he knew all his life for eternity. That's my hope. That should also be your hope, to be reunited with the loved ones as long as you are as they were in Christ. So because Jesus died for my sins and conquered death, I will rise with him I don't have to go to hell. Heaven is open because of Jesus Christ. And that changes everything, including my attitude. Less whinging, more thankfulness, more praising. How many more opportunities do you need to praise the Lord? But may the rest of our days be filled with praises for him. Amen.